You're listening to Irreverent Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study, unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. Listener discretion is advised if you object to bad words, women preachers, or terrible puns. Welcome to Irreverent Bible Talk. I'm Jenny, and I want you to know that there is nothing new under the sun. And I'm Josh, and better a live dog than a dead lion. On this episode, we're tackling Ecclesiastes, or as I like to call it, what the hell, Jenny, why did you write your thesis paper on this? So grab a beer, a mocktail, a cup of coffee, or your beverage of choice, and join us as we explore how the Bible is more complicated and more fascinating than you might expect. I think that we need a disclaimer at the start of this particular episode. Yeah, um, so this is going to be an interesting topic, and I'm just going to knock it or rack it up. I'm just going to write it down as this is going to be a multiple part series for us. As I said in the intro, this was Jenny's thesis paper when she got her master's in divinity. And yeah, after reading it, listening to it, and trying to read some of her paper, I'm still like, why the hell did you choose this? (laughs) Thank you. I respect that. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. I think it's fascinating. I have a lot of opinions, trademark, uh, about this book. So yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Ecclesiastes is definitely not one of the more well-known parts of the Bible for most folks. Uh, So it'll be very interesting. All right. But before we get into it, Jenny, what are you drinking today? What am I drinking? I am drinking a citrus IPA. Sticking with the trend. Um, Where's it from? Stone. Stone Brewing. Listen, a lot of California breweries out here. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to argue. I'm trying to think. I've had Stone multiple times. I've never had a complaint. You know, it's always one of those like, oh, there's a random one-off beer. I'm going to grab that and try it. Yeah, Stone's always been great. Yeah. How about you? I am drinking a lager from Toppling and Goliath. Or Toppling Goliath. Not and Goliath. It's Toppling Goliath. Yeah which is out of Decorah, Iowa. It is probably my favorite beer. Nice. Yeah, it's just, it's called Dorothy's, and it's named after the founder's grandmother. So how can you not appreciate that? Love it. All right. So the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a weird little book. I have like so much to say about it, as Josh has already discovered. But I thought I'd kind of start with like you may have no mental like framework for like what is the book of Ecclesiastes like I don't even know where it is in the Bible and there are a couple of bits of Ecclesiastes that you might have heard of and maybe don't even know that it is from this book probably the most famous part of Ecclesiastes is chapter 3 which starts with this poem to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven a time to be born, a time to die, made famous by that folk song, Turn, Turn, Turn. Also, real popular subject for like kitschy Christian art, where you have like the four seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter, and it's like to everything there is a season. So that's probably the most like famous part of Ecclesiastes. It doesn't mean what you think it means. 
it probably means the opposite of what like the Christian wall art suggests. The other passage you might have heard is um, if you've gone to a wedding, sometimes there's a, a couple of verses from Ecclesiastes that talk about like basically two are better than one and like a threefold cord is not easily broken. So the theme there is like, oh, well, two people are becoming one and they're going to be stronger together, which is cute. It's all right. And then there are certain phrases that might have made their way into the popular, well, popular might be stretching it, but made it into vocabulary. So that phrase I started with, there is nothing new under the sun, that's from Ecclesiastes. And also the phrase that we'll probably have to talk a lot about, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, which sounds like it came out of Shakespeare. And that's partly because it goes back to like that era of translating the Bible into English, like around the same time as Shakespeare. But vanity of vanities, that comes from Ecclesiastes. Other than that, it's not a very well-known book. It doesn't have a narrative like we did an episode about Jonah. And Jonah is this wonderful, kind of tightly woven narrative. There is no narrative for Ecclesiastes. And it covers a wide variety of topics, like pretty scattershot. It's like, and then I considered this, and then I considered this. And you're like, you're all over the place. And it does not have a lot of those kind of nice, feel-good verses that you can like pluck out and then put on a wooden plaque in your kitchen. No offense to people who have this kind of wall art. I am dragging it a little bit, but you do you. Yeah. From my opinion, you know, really quickly of just trying to read it and then listening to it. It's not to me personally, and maybe I'm just missing some points of it. It's not a fun book. It's just kind of solemn to me. It's just kind of makes you feel like, well, what the hell's the point? Like, what's the point of doing anything? Yep. Absolutely. I totally agree. It is not a feel good book. So that was not a good listen for me on a Monday morning driving into work. So I was going to ask you about that because you said you listened to it on your way to work. Like, how did that set up your work day to start out with Ecclesiastes? Uh, you know, I was kind of grumpy when I walked in, but, you know, I'm always grumpy on a Monday morning because life. Fair. But yeah, it just kind of left me just like a little, uh, like, do we really have to do this? Like, what? why am I doing this? What's the point? Yeah. That is that is basically the message of Ecclesiastes. Why am I doing this? What is the point? <laughs> so I did, I wrote my master's thesis on this book um, and on a particular phrase that kind of comes up again and again throughout the book. And at various points, I have kind of returned to Ecclesiastes because to me, it feels so honest. You know, like a lot of times Christianity is like, the sort of feel-good verses, right, where it's like, don't worry about anything, like God is going to take care of you, and everything is like in God's plan. And of course, those passages can be very comforting, but I, maybe because I am just like a very salty individual, I really appreciate a book that's like, hey, stuff fucking sucks. Let's talk about that. And like, does not try to put like a veneer over it to make it okay. It's just like, yeah, let's talk about how things are bad. Although I think in the end, and we'll see, Josh, if I can convince you of this, I think in the end, it is not completely nihilistic. Like, I don't think the book feels, I don't think the conclusion of the book is that nothing matters, but it definitely does have a pretty pessimistic outlook. 
Yeah, and that's I, I guess that's a huge shock to me. Um, you get these other verses that are, you know, the other books and the other verses that are like, hey, yeah, it's hard, but God's here. Heaven's awaiting you. You're going to have your rewards for, you know, living a tough life. But you read this and then it's like, no, I mean, yeah, but no, I mean, yeah, but you're, you're, it's not going to, your life's going to be hard. And to me, that's the big thing that sticks out as opposed to like giving you that energy to get through and that comfort. And maybe I'm missing something, but it's just kind of like, I'm going to go in little nerdiness. You know, it's like that law and gospel comparison. Ooh, nice. It's just, you know, when you go to church on Sunday, you want to hear the gospel. You want to hear like, yeah, life is going to be better with God because you get inundated with law every day. Life is just kicking you below the belt and you're struggling on. And then on Sunday morning, you get that gospel that's like, okay, I can get through this. I have, you know, I believe in God. God's there for me. Yeah. And then Ecclesiastes kind of leave you like, yeah, but, you know, your life sucks and it's going to suck. And you should be <laughs> thankful for that. Uh, yes, I, I completely agree. Um, every, everything you just said is fair. I went back and, and was looking at something. This, like, came up in my Facebook memories. You know how Facebook do. And I think that I, like, originally wrote this. This is a little summary of the book of Ecclesiastes. I originally wrote it in probably, like, January of 2017. So, you know, if you think about what events were going on in the world or in the United States in, like, the end of 2016, start of 2017... This is what I, I posted. Life advice, according to Ecclesiastes. Everything is terrible. Seriously, everything. All the nice platitudes you learned in school are a bunch of bullshit because the world is unjust and absurd. The best you can do is enjoy the pleasant things in life. Try not to piss off God and eventually you will die. And again, this is like not a feel good message. But in the midst of like so much of the world feeling so incredibly bad. It was like, yeah, I need a book that can vibe with this. Like, I need a book that can get down into the trenches of, like, sometimes humanity is terrible. And it's very, it's a very salty book. I'm a very salty person. We get along. Fair enough. And I think I compare this to, you know, I mean, and maybe it's just me. In case you haven't, can't tell or I haven't said, I suffer from depression. And sometimes when you get in that, that, that funk and you get in that just life is miserable, like you need to dig, to me at least, you need to dig deeper into it. Like you just need to make yourself even more miserable to be able to get to a point where you can start climbing back out of it. And that's kind of what I feel like Ecclesiastes is. Yeah, it's kind of like wallowing in in that terrible mood. Sometimes you just need to wallow. Yeah. Listen to that sad song over and over again. Watch that movie that just makes you cry and miserable. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like we should probably say, like, I think I speak for Josh as well as myself here, that, like, if you struggle with depression, you should reach out and get help. And it does get better. And also medication can be wonderful. Anyway, all of that important stuff. But also, like, if you just need to wallow, Ecclesiastes is a good book for wallowing. And if you're not in the mood to wallow, maybe wait on it because... Yeah, maybe read a different book. Yeah, it, it just kind of put me in a pissy mood this morning and so on and so forth. 
Uh, I feel like I need to apologize, Josh, for dragging you down into this. I mean, in all fairness, I'm sure I have drug you into similar situations with my venting and needing that support that I usually cling to you for. So I think we're even. (laughs) It's very wholesome. Yeah. So uh, this episode or episodes probably might be a little bit of like me trying to sell you and our audience on this book. One of the things I appreciate about Ecclesiastes is that in some ways it seems very contemporary. Depending on like what version, what translation you're reading, it might still sound like, you know, typical like kind of stuffy Bible speech. But like the outlook of it to me feels very contemporary because it does have that sort of almost like complaining and acknowledging that things are bad and Ecclesiastes is a little bit like the meme of the dog in the room that's on fire and the dog is saying this is fine. Like that's kind of Ecclesiastes energy. And so I I kind of appreciate it for that reason. But Josh, are you ready to get into some good learning about Ecclesiastes? I'm good with it because I have my opinions on stuff that I've, you know, tried to double check. So I'm, I'm excited to actually like ask you questions and point counterpoint this. I am so excited. It's going to be great. I want to talk a little bit just about like genre. So obviously the Bible contains a lot of different writings that serve a lot of different purposes. And there is a chunk of the writing in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament that is known as wisdom literature. And so probably the best example of this is the book of Proverbs. Like Proverbs is a collection of wisdom and it's kind of presented as this like parental figure talking to their child and saying like, these are the things you need to know. So wisdom, right? Like this is what age and experience have imparted and then you're passing that on. So wisdom literature. Other examples of wisdom literature, the book of Job is under that heading. And some of the Psalms are considered wisdom literature as well. And within wisdom literature, there's sort of a subgenre, which is sometimes called like protest. And it's basically if wisdom literature is saying like this is what tradition teaches, right? This is like the wisdom that has been compiled by generations. The protest writings are like, okay, yeah, but I'm going to poke holes in that. And so it's sort of raising objections to the traditional wisdom. So Ecclesiastes and Job as well are both kind of pushing back against the traditional wisdom and the traditional understanding of just how the world works. So it has this kind of tension where it is still part of the wisdom tradition, but it's also in some ways rejecting it or challenging it. So Ecclesiastes... It is uh, traditionally attributed to Solomon. We can talk a little bit about that, but what the book says in the first chapter is that this is being written by a wise teacher who studies all that is done under the sun. Like, just a, a really narrow kind of topic. Everything that is done in heaven. That's all. Oh, that's all. Yeah, exactly. Some of the things that Ecclesiastes considers, toil and its products, right? So, work in nine to five, pleasure, wisdom, living beings and times in their lives, divine behavior, divine justice, 
So again, like just a few, just a few narrow topics, basically the whole of human experience and also things that are beyond human experience. And the author of Ecclesiastes has a lot of objections to sort of the established order and the way that the world works. Which I think is fair. For the most part, I I agree with. You know, I have a lot of objections to the way that the world works and a lot of that. But then you see, and maybe I'm just not misinterpreting, but it does kind of seem like, okay, well, that's your lot in life. You just got to deal with it. Yeah, almost kind of like fatalism, like, oh, well. Yeah, and that's what I got, at least from the first half of it, especially the talk about self-indulgence. Like, oh, you know, being happy and, you know, giving in to all these temptations. Yeah, that was, that, that was fun, but, you know, it wasn't really a good thing. It's like, well, yeah, that's really easy for you to say you enjoyed all this crap. Uh-huh. And I think that's an important thing to recognize that there is part of this book is kind of like the millionaire saying money doesn't buy happiness. And it's like, OK, yeah, but like, what do you know? Like all your bills are paid. Yes. Like it is definitely coming from like a position of privilege, whether this is King Solomon or not. This is somebody who like has wealth and power and is like, I'm just going to do like I'm going to take a gap year and like backpack around Europe and like I have no worries. And then I'm going to tell you about how disillusioned I am. So, yeah, there is definitely some of that. I think critique is very fair. Yeah. In my version of the Bible, the NRSV is the one I'm reading. You know, it's Ecclesiastes and then the header above reflections of a royal philosopher. Like mm-hmm. that just screams like, oh, oh, okay, so you're working for the king, probably, you know, have a great place to live, not wanting for anything, not being like, oh, like you kind of said earlier, like, how am I going to pay these bills? It, it, it's really frustrating. And I think that's one of the first things that like set me in kind of a, a mood this morning was that. Well, yeah, that's easy for you to to bitch about, but we actually experienced that. We've experienced like, you know, being in the field all day, baling hay or getting crops. Like I've experienced that. And it's like, well, you should just enjoy it. Like, no, it's a miserable last job. It's easy for you to say like, well, be happy about it. Like, no, that's not, that's not the case. That's not how we feel. And I feel kind of like those, especially the first part is saying, well, you just need to be content with that. Yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from, that there is maybe some kind of hypocrisy at work here of like, this is somebody who has a lot of privilege and comfort in life and is like, well, you should just be content. But if you are willing, let's uh, let's see what he is sort of objecting to and see if your opinion changes at all. And then if it doesn't, that's fine. I'm really good with that because, you know, I want to believe there's something more to this that maybe I'm just not noticing because i'm in a mood or yeah well by the end of this we'll have like a nice mellow going on maybe let's start by talking about the author because we're already talking about like what is their position that they're looking at all of this from so i think that's probably a helpful place to start first thing just because i might switch names in here somewhere and people will be really confused For Christians, we know this book as Ecclesiastes. The Hebrew title of the book is Kohelet, which we'll put that in the description of the episode because it's probably not spelled the way you're imagining. But anyway, Kohelet is the Hebrew word that shows up like right at the beginning of the book where it says the words of the teacher or some English translations say the words of the preacher with a P. 
So it's a title, it's maybe a job description, and it's kind of the term that is used for the author because we don't have like a given name. But anyway, so if I say Kohelet, that's why when I was writing on this, I used Kohelet as the the name. So sometimes it gets uh, crossed in my brain. Which was really confusing first time I read through the sections of your paper that you told me. I was like, what the hell is happening? Like, is this a different book she's comparing this to? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Traditionally, this book has been attributed to King Solomon because, like, from that very first verse, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, well, which of David's sons became king in Jerusalem and was also associated with wisdom? Obviously, Solomon. The book itself never says it's Solomon, but that is definitely the kind of traditional interpretation. But it could be, you know, a descendant of David, not necessarily like his son, but it could be his grandson or great grandson or whatever. But this is somebody who is apparently wise. They're known as a teacher, powerful because apparently they were king, and then also sort of like an ancient version of a scientist. And the reason that I say that is because the author says, like, I applied my mind to seek and to search out all that is done under heaven. And, you know, it's very, like we said at the beginning, it's it's pretty scattershot. It's not like really organized. But this idea of I'm going to go examine the world around me and like gain data from what I see and use that to understand things. That is basically a a primitive form of the scientific method, as opposed to saying, this is how things must be because of what we understand about God and human nature and et cetera, et cetera, kind of starting from the theological concepts. The author of Ecclesiastes is like, no, I'm going to actually like look at how things are and then see if that lines up with what wisdom teaches. And doesn't. Spoiler alert. What? Get out of town. I know, right? So uh, the the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, Kohelet, the teacher, whatever, says, like, I have acquired all this wisdom. I have a lot of experience. I have a lot of knowledge. And now I am going to look at the world around me and try to figure out how to understand it and does not have a positive experience from doing that. It says uh, towards the end of chapter one, like, I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is a chasing after wind. In much wisdom is much vexation, and those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. So kind of like a almost ignorance is bliss sort of attitude that like it would be better not to know things. But this is also coming from someone who clearly is not content in ignorance is like, I can't. I can't just close my eyes and not see how the world is. So like refs during a hockey game, they accept the opposite because they choose to be ignorant and not watch what's happening on the ice. (laughs) Josh, I was literally about to ask you to explain that metaphor to me because you are not speaking my language. Uh, Sometimes (laughs) I've yelled at officials before. I'm not proud of it. That ignorance is not bliss and maybe watch the game. (laughs) Expletive. And see there, Josh, I feel like you are embracing the spirit of Ecclesiastes because you are looking at the world or the hockey game as it is and you are very dissatisfied. And maybe that's why Ecclesiastes isn't clicking for me because I, and I've said this to you before we started recording that I am like, at first it was a character that I'm like, oh, get off my lawn. I'm curmudgeon. Like 
no, like I'm starting to like really feel that way. And maybe that's why this is just like hits too close to home and it's like annoying me. This episode might be your origin, your villain origin story. God, I hope so. (laughs) Jenny made me read Ecclesiastes and now I'm evil. Set me over the edge. It could be. It could be. We'll find out. You have to stay tuned for part two to see if Josh turns evil. Fingers Um, fingers crossed. (laughs) Fingers crossed. So Ecclesiastes, he kind of looks at the world around him and he sees a lot of things that are not as they should be. And that is kind of like the heart of what's going on for Ecclesiastes, for Kohelet, is Kohelet has a real clear understanding of how things ought to be. And I think that's something we can all relate to, right? Like from a very young age, kids have a very strong sense of like what is fair and what is not fair. And like, God forbid your sibling do something that is not fair, you will lose your mind, right? I wouldn't know anything about that with three older brothers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I am the the eldest. I have one sister who's younger than me. And so I have that first child complex of like, she got away with so many things that I was never allowed to get away with. And how is that fair? Yeah, I get that a lot. Like, wait, no, dad would never let us do this. Like, how did you get it? I don't know. I just asked him or I just did it and he didn't get mad at me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the time the the second or third or fourth child comes along, parents are just like, I'm tired. I can't. The other three turned out OK. Like, I'm sure you seem smarter than them at some things. At least you've learned from their mistakes. So... Godspeed, stay out of jail. (laughs) Uh, So Ecclesiastes, very much in this same mindset, he looks at the world around him and he knows how things ought to be. And that encompasses a whole lot of stuff, but a lot of it has to do with kind of understandings of justice and like, do people get what they deserve? So the traditional wisdom and the kind of inherent way that we feel like the world should work is that people get what they deserve. So if you work hard and you're honest and you don't take advantage of people, you ought to have good outcomes, right? And if you cheat or steal or lie, that that should, you know, kind of come back and bite you. But as like a very nerdy very like good grades kind of kid growing up like I can tell you cheaters do get away with it and they never get caught and why did I put in all that hard work that is basically the message of Ecclesiastes is like can I ask you a quick question then on that note did you set the curve when you were in school (laughs) were you one of those that made my life harder when you were like on occasion I was that kid uh, you know, I never, I never personally had a problem with them, but just like, come on, you, you screwed the rest of the class over because you understood what was happening and I didn't. Granted, I should have asked questions and I should have actually put effort into it, but I had things to do. I had basketball to play. I had track to run. I had soccer. I, you know, other things happen. Oh my gosh. This is your villain origin story. It might be. Um, it might be. At the end of this, I'm assuming I'm going to be like, yes, this is me. I'm going to like encapsulate. I'm going to go by Ecclesiastes. That's going to be my villain name. Uh, yeah, this is starting to definitely feel like a Batman villain origin. Um, so I am terrified to find out where it goes. 
Ecclesiastes has this like objection of in theological terms, and this is the kind of um, accepted wisdom in the Hebrew Bible, is that if you are faithful and you obey God's commandments, that God will take care of you. And if you don't, then bad things will happen. We see this, you know, it's spelled out in a place like Deuteronomy, but it comes up, you know, throughout the Hebrew Bible. And what Ecclesiastes is saying is, yeah, but it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes the people who do bad things still prosper. And as an example of this, like in everyday life, you hear it, people are like, oh, well, you know, karma's coming. Karma's going to get them. No. How many times have you seen it? You know, working in, I used to work for a large company where I was a number. And I sat in a cubicle every day and the people that were assholes, they got promoted. They became middle managers and granted they were going to sit in that position for the rest of their life. And I hope that they are miserable every day, but that's because I'm a grumpy ass person, but they <laughs> succeed. They get these things. Yeah. And like in sports, you see it. Well, this person still deserves all the recognition. Like, well, yeah, but they tested positive for performance enhancers. And this is a really good lesson for example of life. Like, yeah, this sucks. I can bust my ass every day and not get noticed. And then you see the person next to you that's just coasting, screwing around, and there's still the same title as you. How is that fair? Yeah. Now you're getting into the spirit of Ecclesiastes. And that's really what it kind of seems like for what I understood. Like, yeah, it is. It's just this big example of life isn't fair. And then you die. Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> um, and and I do think like there is more to this and like this is definitely going to go into part two so maybe I will kind of leave this as like my hook for the next one is Ecclesiastes is going to tear everything down with this kind of attitude of like life's not fair things don't go the way they're supposed to the kind of like Cheaters don't get a head lesson that you learned as a kid doesn't hold up. But what are you supposed to do once you realize that? Because Ecclesiastes is not going to say, like, just roll over and die. The book is going to try to establish some parameters for, like, how do you live in a world that is unfair? And it may not be fully satisfying, but I think that there is kind of some if not hopeful conclusions, at least like realistic kind of goals that the book is going to offer. I mean, I guess from just our conversation, maybe I'm softening up a little bit on this book. We'll see. Time will tell. We'll see. We'll but see. I guess I can't can appreciate that. It is very relevant and it probably was, you know, it's relevant back in then when it was written and it's relevant now. Like it is giving you that like, okay, Life's hard. Life's not fair. Like, why does this person get away with all these crimes and you follow the law and you maybe don't completely stop at a stop sign, but you get the ticket and that person embezzled money and gets away with it? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe this is my calling. <laughs> maybe this isn't your villain origin story. We'll see. We'll have to see. We'll see. Yeah. And I feel like uh, time has gone so fast today. I know. I was looking at the timestamp and I'm like, dang, we have been recording for a long time. But you're going to listen to it because we're not done yet. And yeah, there'll be a part two, maybe a part three, but you'll deal with it because there... <laughs> that's life. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. Except turn us off. But please don't turn us off. We really appreciate you listening to us and our 
contemplations and arguments. Yeah. Uh, Josh and I are having a ton of fun with this, and hopefully you're having fun listening. Please stay tuned for the return of Ecclesiastes uh, next time with even more existentialism. I can't wait. And I feel like that's going to be my second movie when I become a supervillain. Like they're going to make biographies and it's just going to be called Return of Ecclesiastes when I escape from my supervillain prison. Yes. When you escape from legally distinct Arkham Asylum. Exactly. And I know we've kind of gone crazy today. It's been a, this is an interesting topic and it's, you know, it obviously is really relevant to our daily lives. And it's, it's easy for us to kind of shoot back and forth and give it a bad time and to bicker about it. But we really appreciate you listening. And we're really trying to work our way through it because yeah, it left a really bitter taste in my mouth this morning. And maybe by the time we're done with it, this, this will be a good guiding post for, okay, I can deal with this and move on. Maybe. Or maybe Josh will become a supervillain. You'll have to come back to find out. Thank you so much for listening to Irreverent Bible Talk. If you have a question or an episode idea, you can shoot us an email. And we hope that you will share this with a friend or a loved one or an enemy that you want to annoy. We will see you again real soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Irreverent Bible Talk. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us at soundcloud.com slash irreverentbible. And remember, just like Balaam and his donkey learned, sometimes even God communicates through a talking ass.